This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. What are the key objectives for Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin? Three big priorities. Number one, defend the nation. Number two, take care of people. Uh, And number three, succeed through teamwork. Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs John Kirby goes in depth on a number of key priorities for Austin. Threats uh, in cyber and potentially in in space. It it still involves making sure that we have uh, the proper counterterrorism capabilities uh, in place uh, around the world. There's the threat from Russia. And that means being ready to confront the threats that are posed by Russia in in the most meaningful way. China, North Korea, Iran, extremism within the services, all of that is coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. We promised you this week an interview regarding spies in the U.S., but something came up, an unexpected opportunity. Since the Biden administration came into office, we've been knocking on a lot of doors, calling a lot of phones, and sending a lot of emails asking questions about policies and objectives, and asking for interviews with key officials in the national security realm. We've gotten a variety of responses. In most cases, it's been no. Understandably, these officials are very busy trying to fix a lot of things that went off the rails during the last administration's national security purview. There's also been no answers from many of them. But one thing you can always depend on is getting an answer from the Pentagon. And John Kirby, in particular, who is now the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs, is one of the best in the business at messaging. He sat down with us for a wide-ranging interview on a number of different topics. Mr. Kirby, the Secretary's had a few months in this position. uh, And I know what he said when he came in, that he was going to take a look at a lot of things, figure out where things needed to be, where he needed to go, but he was relying heavily on some of these these reviews, et cetera. Can you give us a sense of what the key objectives are for this, this, this Secretary of Defense at this stage in his tenure? The Secretary, I think, has been uh, very clear about what his priorities are. In fact, he issued a message, message to the force shortly after taking office that kind of laid out three big priorities. Number one, defend the nation. Number two, take care of people. Uh, and number three, succeed through teamwork. And under each of those priorities, he's um, was was pretty explicit about uh, uh, what the most important initiatives were. For instance, um, tackling the COVID pandemic. Uh, the secretary has uh, made it an all hands on deck uh, uh, piece of work here at the department, where um, we're all leaning in to make sure that we are providing 
the proper information and access to the vaccine for our troops and now for their families they're they're open to take it um, and we also leaned in pretty aggressively to help put shots in the arms of the American people uh, through 30 uh, sites around the country, not to mention National Guardsmen who are already doing it before the secretary took office to the tune of more than 20,000 National Guardsmen. So it really has been an effort to get the force properly vaccinated and prepared as well as the American people. But, you know, defending the nation also, as you've heard the secretary talk about, is very much dealing with the pacing challenge that we see coming from China um, and out of Beijing and making sure that we have in place the operational concepts, the capabilities um, and the right strategies to deal with the pacing challenge from a security perspective that that, that China poses. Uh, but again, it, it also goes to addressing threats uh, in cyber um, and potentially in, in space. It, it, it still in, involves making sure that we have uh, the proper counterterrorism capabilities uh, in place around the world, particularly um, in, in regions like the Middle East and in Africa, to be able to uh, thwart any any potential threats to the homeland from from terrorist organizations. When it comes to taking care of our people, the secretary has also been uh, very clear that w- what he wants to do is make sure we're growing and developing the right talent pool for the kinds of capabilities we need to put into the field and the fleet uh, in the future. That it all starts with people. If you don't get the people part right, nothing else uh, will will, uh, will will be successful. Uh, and so he's working really hard on. Uh, on trying to make sure we have the right manning and personnel systems in place to do that, that we're that we're taking a broad look at who we're bringing into the force uh, and what kinds of skill sets we need to develop uh, for these uh, these future uh, endeavors. And it also means, to a, a degree, um, making sure we're we, we've got the right health in the ranks. This means tackling sexual assault, and he's been uh, very aggressive on that. His first directive as Secretary of Defense was. Uh, to the services uh, regarding sexual assault. He stood up an independent review commission that are still, they're still doing their work, um, uh, but he wants them to, to, uh, to come back with innovative, creative solutions so we can finally um, get more success at, at this uh, persistent problem. Um, of course, he stood up a, a working group to look at extremism in the ranks. Um, and then, uh, you know, in, in teamwork, I mean, you've seen in his, uh, his initial travel uh, just the emphasis that he's placing on alliances and partnerships. His first trip with Secretary Blinken was to Japan and South Korea, and then he went on to India uh, as a key defense partner in, in the region, in the Indo-Pacific region um, as well. And he's traveled to Europe to speak to our uh, our colleagues in Germany and the UK and, of course, NATO. So he's really put a lot of stock in trade on revitalizing alliances and partnerships. The other thing I'd say on teamwork is He's also key, uh, very focused on making sure that the Department of Defense is a is a key partner uh, to our interagency partners as well. Uh, and so this is you know working together on on problems like climate change, uh, on um, uh, on the mission at the southwest border, um, uh, support to civil authorities, uh, making sure that w- we are. Uh, a, a credible, viable, helpful partner inside the interagency. You talked about a lot of things there, so let me just pick a couple of them and drill down a bit. Um, the first thing I'd like to ask you about is the the NATO piece of this. Um, there were some, and there was some talk about 
Some countries, because of the, the sort of hands-off stance that the previous administration tried to take when it came to NATO or distancing itself, that some nations moved on. Have you found that? And has it been a difficult, uh, has there been any difficulty persuading the U.S.'s allies that the U.S. is going to be there for them when things come up? Well, I certainly don't want to speak for other sovereign nations uh, and NATO allies. They should speak for themselves on how they they view um, this administration's approach. I I can tell you that uh, the secretary's message, and it was one shared by Secretary Blinken as well when they went to Brussels recently, was that the United States uh, intends to be a good ally. Um, and that we take our commitments to NATO extraordinarily seriously, uh, and, and that no one should doubt that. Uh, and I think you know both of these leaders made that uh, eminently clear uh, in not just Brussels but in other fora. I mean, the, the secretary participated back in February in a NATO defense ministerial, and again, that was his main message, that, that we believe in the alliance, we believe that we need to contribute as well to this uh, alliance uh, and that the alliance has transformed and is continuing to transform in very healthy ways to meet the challenges that we're all going to face in the future. I will also tell you that the the feedback anecdotally that we've received from allies has been very positive uh, about what they're hearing from the United States and what they're seeing from the United States. Um, uh, And and so I think think in general, whether it's – uh, you know, the, the mission in Afghanistan and the retrograde that's going on there uh, or uh, our belief in the, 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 the further growth and development in NATO of additional capabilities, all that um, has been pretty consistent. And I think in generally, in generally speaking, positively uh, reacted to. The other piece I wanted to, to, to bring up very quickly was China. You said the pacing um, that, that China's engaging in. And, you know, they've been on a pretty – steep uh been 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 keeping up a pretty steep pace for 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 more than a decade for for a while now does the u.s uh have the capability as they say in um i think it's uh u.s forces korea to fight tonight not that the u.s is looking for a fight with china but um, how does the u.s stack up in terms of what it's doing in because the u.s is a pacific nation too i would tell you that um Certainly, it's it's in nobody's interest, and, and nobody here at the Defense Department is is looking for the relationship uh, with China um, uh, to b- become uh, one of conflict. Um, part of our job, and the Secretary has talked about this uh, at great length, is to deter war, uh, to, to, to make sure that conflict doesn't happen. But in order to do that, you've got to have a credible, viable set of capabilities that uh, any adversary uh, can look at um, and understand uh, the, the costs of potential conflict. Um, he, he, he talked about something he refers to as integrated deterrence, which is uh, deterrence of a new sort that, uh, that's really taking advantage of new technology uh, and, quite frankly, the capabilities of our allies and partners to contribute to it. Uh, and that's what we're focused on here. Uh, 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 the the Bilateral relationship with China is complex uh, and it's deep, um, and, and it crosses the lines of national power, whether that's diplomatic, economic, um, and, and certainly in a security environment. Um, uh, the, we want to make sure um, that uh, that we are, from a security perspective, that we're meeting the uh, the challenges that that China continues to pose through their 
their bullying and uh, coercive tactics uh, to to not only their neighbors but neighbors who we in fact are treaty allies with, uh, and, and so it, it's really about ensuring that. Uh, we've got the right concepts in place and the right capabilities, the right mix of capabilities for the future uh, to be able uh, to, again, meet that challenge and deter any potential uh, conflict that that uh, that might happen. Mm. One more thing from your initial comments, um, making sure that the force is taken care of. You know, you talked about sexual assault is one thing, but there's also this other element of extremism in the ranks. And I know that uh, a great deal of care has been taken to address it uh, and to do it in a very public way with the, the emissary that's running essentially this program to take a look at it, Mr. Garrison. So how would you assess the progress that has been made since this was announced uh, and where that whole process is going? I think, J.J., it's, it's, it's very important right at the outset um, to note that the vast, vast majority of the men and women who serve in this department, civilian and uniformed, they do so with integrity and character. And they take seriously the oath that they have all taken to the Constitution, which means that oath to the American people. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's part of our the very fabric of, of serving in this institution. And we know that the vast majority, uh, again, ascribe to those values. But it doesn't take very many. Um, who don't subscribe to those values to have an outsized impact on good order and discipline and morale and, quite frankly, the, the physical safety of, of their teammates. Um, and that's what we're concerned about is the kinds of behavior and misconduct that can arise from extremist ideology, radical ideology, um, and, and the impact that 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 those behaviors can again have on on the force, and that's what we're focused on. We're really focused on trying to understand the scope and the scale of the problem, and we're still getting our arms around that. That's one of the reasons why the secretary uh, stood up an extremist working group here at the department to really help us better understand the scope and the scale, but also to try to help us better understand f- from that how do we better address the issue inside the ranks. Uh, and, and so that's what we're doing. And you asked about progress. It, it is a it is very much a work in progress. Uh, the, the working group is hard at work on various lines of effort to help us get a better grasp on this. Um, and, and then, you know, when their work is done, it, it, they'll, they'll they'll turn over that effort and their recommendations and their findings to the institution. And the institution will will start to, to pick that apart and, and see what what policies can come from that, what resources can come from that. Um, but it's uh, it, it's it, it's very much still in progress, and I think it's too soon to tell right now. You know what they're going to find and, and what recommendations they're going to make. One of the things, very quickly on that, um, that you know we've learned as a nation as 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 we've been going through what we've gone through since George Floyd was murdered, um, is there's a lot of what people call diversity, equity, and inclusion discussions and efforts going on. And one of the things that I heard was that. You know, one of the things that people need to understand when you talk about racism is that it's built on a whole bunch of other isms that are part and parcel of the whole thing, favoritism, you know, uh, nepotism, cronyism, et cetera. And am I hearing you, am I, am I hearing you say that when, when you're looking at this extremism piece, you recognize the, 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 
Pentagon and, and this team, this extremism team, recognizes that there are moving parts to this process, and it's not just a, as simple as saying, okay, this is what we found, this is what we're going to do, but it's something that seems to be evolving. It's something we need to better understand. And one, what we do understand is that it's a complex issue. Um, what uh, uh, you know, some extremist ideology is very focused uh, on, uh, for instance, anti-government. Um, and some extremist ideology is certainly, at its core, racist. Some extremist ideology is also uh, very uh, misogynistic. I mean, there's a, there's a, you're right, your question is well put. There's a lot, it's very complex. It doesn't just neatly fall into one little bin. Um, and that's why the secretary wanted a working group to take a look at this, to try to help us get our arms around it. And again, I mean, JJ, I think this is really important to point out. This isn't about um, uh, trying to um, get inside the heads of everyone who serves in, inside the building. It's, it's trying to understand the behaviors and the conduct that arise from this kind of ideology, better grasping for ourselves what that behavior is, how does it manifest itself, uh, and how do we prevent that going forward? Um, it, it, it really is primarily aligned uh, uh, about uh, on the behavior and the conduct that comes from this sort of ideology, with the recognition that that ideologues become ideologues and sometimes you know work themselves out of this ideology on their own. Uh, and so again, we're trying to better understand the scope of the problem with an eye towards really getting at the behaviors and the conduct that, that lead to uh, good order and discipline issues and, frankly, can lead to literally health and safety issues among our people. I'll follow up on this in a different way, um, but uh, I want to get a couple other things in here before time runs out. And uh, that is Russia. It's, it's, it's hard to figure out just what to talk about when you talk about Russia, because they've done so much and are engaged in so many different ways negatively with the U.S. But uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say about the Pentagon's, the, the secretary's approach to dealing with Russia. Well, we certainly know that Russia um, is working against our own national security interests in, in, on many fronts and as, and as well the national security interests of allies, partners and friends. And, and just like we've talked about uh, with China, it's a complex bilateral relationship. The secretary's focus is on defending the nation. And that means being ready uh, uh, to confront the, the the threats that are posed by Russia in, in the most meaningful way. Again, uh, in, in, nobody's interested in, in in looking for conflict here, uh, but we have to be mindful and be clear-eyed and pragmatic about some of the threats that the, that the Russians pose uh, globally um, and the instability and the insecurity that the uh, that some of their actions actually uh, tend to propagate. So it's it's in the cyber realm. It's in the maritime domain. Certainly in the air domain. Um, and um, and you know we saw just recently this massive buildup of troops along the border with Ukraine on the ground uh, and in occupied Crimea um, that uh, they were never completely transparent about uh, and that did nothing um, to provide 
uh, a measure of stability there uh, inside Ukraine or, frankly, on the European continent. They are, they are challenging the international rules-based order, um, as is China. Um, and it's a rules-based order that the United States and our allies after World War II helped create and foster and lead uh, and encourage and engender. And we want to see that rules-based order continue because it's in everybody's benefit, even a country like Russia. Uh, and, and so what we want to make clear, and this gets to your question about NATO, is that the United States will continue to stand for and support that rules-based order. Okay, thanks. Is there any interest at all um, in the secretary meeting with his Russian counterpart? I don't have any uh, meetings to announce or, okay. or read out today. All right, so um, leaving Afghanistan, we know that that's happening, um, and it's happening in September. Um, is there anything that would make that not happen? The president's direction has been very clear. Uh, we will withdraw uh, U.S. military forces from Afghanistan uh, by early September. That's the directive. That's that's the mission uh, to transition uh, and to, as we call it in Pentagon speak, retrograde to withdraw uh, equipment and systems and people out of Afghanistan by that date. And, and, and that's what we're doing. And thus far, the retrograde continues apace and on schedule. Um, and uh, and we're just going to we're going to continue to to work at that. Is what kind of presence will the U.S. have in the region if it leaves Afghanistan? Uh, and I mean, frankly, to protect itself and its allies from another September 11th, because we've heard rumblings, you know, about things. And we also know that something exists there that wasn't there when the U.S. went there after 2001, and that's ISIS. So there are other elements there, too. So what, what kind of presence will the U.S. have? The president has also been clear that he wants to maintain a diplomatic presence in Afghanistan, which means that uh, obviously the, the Department of Defense will have a role um, in helping provide a measure of force protection for our diplomats. We don't know right now what that's going to look like, how many um, and how they'll be uh, deployed there uh, in Afghanistan. But it'll be, uh, it'll be uh, appropriate to the task of helping ensure and protect the task of diplomacy in, in Afghanistan. But it won't be that, – that'll be its mission. Uh, it won't be in in uh, in the it won't it, it won't be related to conducting the sorts of missions that we had been for so many years. Um, outside of that, uh, we're working hard right now on a way to provide over the horizon counterterrorism capabilities. The the, sec uh, the the president was also very clear that uh, nothing's changed about our desire to not see Afghanistan as a safe haven for terrorists. Uh, organizations that will uh, attack our homeland, as they did on 9-11. On um, and so we still have a vested interest, a national security interest, in preventing that from happening. Uh, and so what that's going to look like right now, JJ, we don't really know. We're working hard on that. Um, but I think, if you, as you've heard Secretary Austin say, um, we have the capability of pretty much hitting any piece of earth uh, at any time we so choose. Uh, and so we uh, – it, it's not that it won't be difficult. 
uh, to do it, more difficult to do it without a presence uh, on the ground there, but it's not impossible. Uh, and we've got the capabilities. We're, we're, we're working our way through exactly how we're going to utilize those capabilities. And the other thing I'd remind you of, and you know this, is we, we already have a very robust presence in the Middle East uh, uh, through a series of other arrangements with many countries in, in, in that region. Uh, and that's not going to change as a result of this. Last thing. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you think is important? I can't think of anything. Um, okay. No, I can't think of anything. Well, Mr. Kirby, thank you. Um, I will just say this. Um, I've known you for a while, and you were Captain Kirby when I first met you, and you've gone through a couple of iterations, including being uh, raised up in the rank to admiral before you retired, and you've done this um, public affairs job for another president. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the chance to sit to talk to you. This is, I think, the biggest and best lesson on what this administration is doing from a national security perspective that I've had since it came into office, and I I appreciate it. Well, JJ, it's always good to see you, my friend. I've enjoyed uh, our professional relationship. I look forward to it continuing. That was our discussion with Assistant Secretary of Defense John Kirby. There is a reason why he's one of the most respected public affairs officials in Washington, and it's because he's equitable. All credible media will get a fair shot because he understands that equity is at the heart of democracy and objective journalism is a key stakeholder in democracy. We'll get back to the spies soon, but coming up in our next episode, President Joe Biden says he's willing to meet with North Korea's Kim Jong-un. But the North Koreans are playing hard to get. If they persist on building more nuclear weapons, fabricating more fissile material, building more nuclear weapons, and even missile delivery systems, and if they should have a nuclear test or a long-range missile launch, I mean, this would not only be an impediment, it would be an, they would exacerbate uh, this relationship and these efforts. And I think we would then go in a different direction. Ambassador Joe Detrani, former U.S. Special Envoy to the Six-Party Talks with North Korea, says there's a limited amount of time for North Korea to take action. We do have a window. We have a definite window of opportunity right now. I believe that window will close after three to four to six months. That's it for this episode of Target USA. If you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, we invite you to follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. And if you want more national security information, I've got a newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, and welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast, the most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight, this is nuts!
your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week, as long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week, I'm gonna go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.